Welcome. Bienvenidos. Bienvenidas. To the bilingual podcast series, Aquí y Allá, conversations with contemporary creatives from Mexico and the USA. A este episodio de nuestro podcast bilingüe, Aquí y Allá, conversaciones con creadores de arte contemporáneo de México y Estados Unidos de América. Stephanie García. And Peter Hay of ProArtes México. De ProArtes México. Each podcast will be in the artist's preferred language, Spanish or English. Cada episodio será transmitido en el idioma preferido del artista, español o inglés. You can find the translated transcript of each interview on our website, proartesmexico.com.mx. Pueden encontrar la transcripción traducida de cada una de nuestras entrevistas en nuestro espacio web, proartesmexico.com.mx. Season 2 was produced on the meeting place and traditional homelands of the Ute, Gashut, and Eastern Shoshone. We invite you to join us in honoring the past, present, and future indigenous peoples residing in this region, as well as all the indigenous people of Mexico and the United States, and recognize them as the long-standing stewards of these lands. La temporada 2 se produjo donde se encuentran las tierras tradicionales de los Ute, Goshut, y Shoshone del Este. Te invitamos a unirte a nosotros para honrar a los pueblos indígenas del pasado, presente y futuro que residen en esta región y reconocerlos como guardianes de esta tierra desde hace mucho tiempo, así como todos los pueblos indígenas de México y Estados Unidos de América. Follow along as we jump the border to connect artists from Mexico and the USA. Acompáñanos mientras saltamos la frontera para conectar artistas de México y los Estados Unidos de América. is a composer, performer, and installation artist from Fort Defiance, Navajo Nation. As a solo artist, collaborator, or with Post Commodity, he has exhibited or performed at Whitney Biennial, Documenta 14, Red Cat, San Francisco Electronic Music Festival, Chaco Canyon, 18th Biennial of Sydney, and the Kennedy Center, just to name a few. Every year, he teaches 20 students to write string quartets for the Native American Composer Apprenticeship Project. Raven Chacon is the recipient of the United States Artist Fellowship in Music, the Creative Capital Award in Visual Arts, the Native Arts and Cultural Foundation Artist Fellowship, and the American Academy's Berlin Prize for Music Composition. He currently lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, thank you, Raven. Welcome to the podcast, Aki Yaya, Conversations with Creators from the United States and Mexico. I really appreciate your time this morning. I just... Uh, gave a brief bio about you and your past, but I'm wondering if you would like to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you come from. Well, I'm speaking to you today from Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is where I've lived most of my life. Um, I grew up on the Navajo Nation, the Navajo Reservation, in a town called Chinle. My mother's from that town. She's Navajo. And we ended up out there uh, because uh, my, my mother was still uh, going to school at that time. And my father, he's from northern New Mexico. He's Chicano, Hispano. And um, 
And the two had met in Albuquerque, but, you know, ended up in the, on the reservation. And that's where I grew up the beginning years of my life. But eventually the family went back to Albuquerque. And so I've been here pretty much my whole life. Mm. And um, with, uh, at least until somewhere in my twenties, then I was never home again. I was always on the road. Okay. Okay. And so you mentioned uh, uh, Chinle, and that's really close to Kenyon to I've I've driven around that area and it's a very unique I feel like a very unique atmosphere and landscape um and also I feel like Albuquerque is a very unique place in the United States as well and you're actually the second artist in our interview series that we've we've interviewed from uh, from Albuquerque or based in Albuquerque and we talked a lot about kind of the, the funkiness of Albuquerque and how it's like this really interesting uh, mixture of, of different cultures and, uh, you know, an interesting history that's that's happened in New Mexico. Um, is, do you feel like that is, is some influence on on the work you make? All of those sort of very unique <laughs> New Mexico Southwest um, atmospheres? Not consciously, it's it's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, as you mentioned, there is a complicated history of mixture and erasure mm-hmm. and ongoing sharing of of blood and ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so given that history, because that history is who I am as well, uh, it it does emerge in the work as topics, and also the land is a big part of you know, what I, what I feel is a part of my life. And so the land gets referenced. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not Georgia O'Keefe. I don't paint the, paint the landscape <laughs> or anything like that, but I do like to make recordings outdoors. I do like to research the history of places that I, that are around the area where I live. Um, and I like to perform outdoors. I like to, mm-hmm. to do a lot of things outdoors sonically uh, I, I feel confined to do all of this work in a studio. Mm-hmm. So uh, many times it, um, it does become a topic of the work. And later when I was doing installations with post-commodity, a lot of the work we, we made were, was about the larger region where we find ourselves mm-hmm. and the complex identity of this region. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the, the gathering of, of sounds and recordings from the area and I've been listening to your your work a lot recently kind of getting ready for the interview and actually the uh, it's I'm glad you mentioned post commodity because that was actually the first way I found about found out about you and your work um was meeting uh somebody associated with post commodity in Tulsa some years ago and um I just um it's interesting to me the process because um it seems like, you know, there is an app, like I, I mentioned, I've said used the word atmosphere a lot, but I, I feel like the work has, it creates an atmosphere and it seems like it really captures the, the space and the magic. I feel like there's a magic in that part of the world. Um, and is, do you feel like that is, is something that you're, you're trying to do, uh, are trying to communicate or like you mentioned it was unconscious not at all yeah not at all I, and i appreciate the compliment i i feel that this if there is any reference to 
uh, where I'm making the music or what the music might be about, as you mentioned, atmosphere, it's completely accidental and just an artifact of what I'm trying to do, of the way I'm making music, of the way I'm playing my instrument, which might be a homemade oscillator or a field recording mm -hmm. of something, you know, manipulated or not manipulated. I think maybe that's that emerges either in the mind of the listener or it's something that is bound to occur based on the way I work mm. and where I come from. Mm -hmm. But it's not something I'm consciously trying to do is evoke a place in my work. Um, perhaps maybe just the title references it and it's enough to make that bridge to a listener that this is about uh, this place and the possibilities of this place. Mm. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about about what you make, but I'm I'm wondering if you could maybe tell the listeners a little bit about um, how you would describe what you make. Well, I do. I would say I do three or four different things, and and a lot of times I keep them very separate. You know, one thing I do is make recordings, and sometimes those are also performances, and those tend to be manipulations of instruments uh amplified instruments overly amplified instruments mm. cassette tapes tape loops filled recordings processed through guitar pedals distortion pedals effects that i've made or tried to make and they don't come out quite right but i still try and this becomes what uh, I suppose is in a genre of, of noise or experimental, you know, kinds of uh, electroacoustic music. And another thing I do, totally separate and rarely overlapping, is putting notes on paper and writing music compositions for classical musicians, chamber musicians. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of times, I mean, almost all of them are in the form of scores, whereas the previous work is almost entirely improvisational. And so this collaboration with chamber musicians is uh, very prescriptive, I, I would say, and um, is, is me sitting there at, with a piece of paper and creating a set of instructions, whether it is a traditionally notated score or it's something more graphic or text-based. Uh, to make music in that way. And so the third thing that I do is make sound installations. And those usually come about because they're the things that do not fit on the score or on the recording or on the stage. So I had to find another form for these ideas or these pieces to exist in. And that became uh, these, these works that I do that might be in an installation environment or, mm. you know, they might be a sound installation utilizing speakers or video or, uh, you know, other kinds of sound making elements. And, and that work then did overlap with uh, the work I started doing when I became a member of Post Commodity and worked with that collective for 10 years. And even though a lot of that work was based in sound, a lot of it was using other mediums too. A lot of it was video. A lot of it was sculptural. The piece we, we became most known for was the repellent fence, which, mm -hmm. which was a land art installation on the U S Mexico border. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think um, and <laughs> this, 
I have so many questions now, but I'll I'll try to like <laughs> concise them down. But I mean, it makes me think of all sorts of things from like, well, you know, what's what's considered music to like, you know, um, uh, transdisciplinarity to everything that's sort of in the middle from those questions. But um, huh. so I'm I'm curious uh, because you mentioned post commodity and the work. Do you, are you still working with post commodity? No, no, I, I left the group a couple of years ago and uh focus on you know just other projects I, I sure i feel like uh you know i was thinking about my favorite bands and they all last about 10 years so i decided <laughs> to go <laughs> yeah do something else yeah. you know switch it up sure no i i think that's uh you have to do you know you have to move forward in the best ways for yourself and for everyone so i think that's yeah. that's great and, and the repellent fence um that was definitely a, a groundbreaking piece and uh, it definitely caught a lot of attention for a lot of, you know, very timely reasons. And um, it, but I'm, I'm thinking back to like past post commodity pieces too, with sound installation and the materiality of them. And um, like, I'm thinking of a piece where there's a, a deer hanging from a kind of a tripod that mm-hmm. is dripping onto a drum. And um I'm wondering, were you part of, you were part of the creation of that piece, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that, that piece in particular and, and just sort of as a, a way for us to sort of unpack the, the creative process for you and for post-commodity at the time? Yeah, that was a piece very, very close to me as I was the member who uh, is from that region. You know, from, it was that, that piece was about Santa Fe, New Mexico and about... Mm-hmm central and northern new mexico and about the mixture of of people that live in this area whether they're detribalized people or they are people who are pretending that they don't have indigenous blood they are chicano they are hispano they are pueblo they are apache they are navajo and uh, all of this comes together at these sites and so for us we wanted to think of that particular spot in santa fe this spot has a long history of of intersection, of trade, of commerce, even before contact times. And of course, after contact times, it became another gathering place. And even today, it's still this marketplace. And so we wanted to stage a piece during the most uh, marketable uh, event that happens there every year, which is the Santa Fe Indian Market. Mm-hmm. And so in, in telling about this place, we wanted a mediator so somebody who's been there before humans even if we want to talk about indigeneity but we also want to acknowledge who was there before indigenous people and that would have been the mule deer of, mm. uh, amongst many many other you know i'm sure reptiles even proceed <laughs> proceed that but uh, <laughs> but um the mule deer was very important because this was going to speak about the land and since uh, human times, then that animal has helped humans survive and has helped humans be fed, be warm, and continues to be a presence in the area today. And mm-hmm. so I like to think of the piece as a clock telling the story of that spot. So it does so in, in different ways. It, it, it works as a sundial, giving respect to time. Uh, reminding us that uh, things are very temporary 
because this piece was only going to be up for four days. Also, mm-hmm. the, the, the deer is dripping blood from its mouth at a rate of, of 15 seconds. Every 15 seconds, it, a drop falls from the, the mouth of the deer and hits an amplified drum. Yeah. And then the third way that it tells time is it tells the history of the spot at the very top of the rack uh, of, of, of four poles. All of these, all of these materials coming from the area of Santa Fe and the mountains surrounding. At the very top, referencing the sky, when no living things were in the area. And the further down you go, you see the deer. Again, as I was saying, referencing the animals before human history. Inside of the deer is a blood to signify the indigenous people who live there and the ancestors of the current indigenous people. And all of this stirring around inside of the animal and then dripping and having this long lineage uninterrupted until contact times. And that's when the blood makes contact with the head of the drum. And this being very loud, very thunderous. And Mm -hmm. after you hear that moment, this blood has an opportunity to pull up on the head of the drum to mix with itself and then drip off the sides back into the ground. Mm. And so that, that was a piece about land, about time in a very long, long form view. And of course about the identity um, of the people who live there. Mm. Yeah. It's uh it's one of those pieces that, you know, because of, um, I, I feel in, in modern society, it's, a, it, it stops. It's probably a shocker for a lot of people. Um, I'm, did, were you able to watch people interact with the piece or, yeah. you know, first view the piece? Yeah, there was a lot, there was a wide spectrum of opinions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had folks who, watched it for a very long time. There were folks who were disturbed by it. Mm-hmm. There were, there was a woman on the other side of the wall who wanted us to take it down. This woman who was selling mm-hmm. leather boots and leather fringe jackets. We had to ask her, where do you think the leather comes from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little cognitive distance um, there. Yeah. <laughs> we did serve the opening from the meat, the meat from the deer became a stew that we served Uh, okay we had uh, we had uh, a person who said that what we were doing was wrong and we needed to return the drum that we were using back to where we got it from and uh (laughs) and it's it's a taos style uh pueblo drum and we said we we can do that Uh but we got we where we got this drum was at the airport and there was a stack of tourist t-shirts on top of it so i mean i don't oh my I lord think yeah. that was any more um i think that was even more disrespectful to have this drum in an airport with a bunch of t- t-shirts on it um yeah. so yeah a wide variety of opinions but but for like myself it, it remains yeah. one of my favorite works yeah. and it's um i think a precursor to a work like repellent fence in which we're talking about land mm-hmm. and identity and the mixture of indigenous and Spanish mm-hmm. people. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just feel like that, that piece in particular really does highlight that connection to place and to land and to um, all of the things you're, you're speaking about. And it's a, uh, you know, it, it stopped me like, and I haven't, I didn't see it in person. I just saw it in, you know, uh, years ago, I, I came across it in a, a journal, I believe. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is like, this is so poignant and so powerful and, and, you know, shocking in some ways, mm. but then thought provoking. So thank you. Yeah. I was just curious. I've been wanting to ask you about that piece since I, I first got you scheduled. I was like, I had to ask him about that. Installation. Yeah, yeah. All of the um, materials came from there. Our friend um, hunted that deer in the Jemez Mountains, just to the west of Santa Fe. Yeah. The poles come from uh, the forest outside of Santa Fe. And I even think the rope, the rope came about. I, I made the microphone uh, that, that is attached to the drum. So maybe that still comes from New Mexico. Uh, and the blood the blood yeah uh, Yeah. the blood is a a mixture of blood from the animal itself uh supplemented with blood from the butcher supplemented from with some of my own blood not many many people know that i don't think i've revealed that to too many people but it is in the title (laughs) yeah well yeah some people in the title know now yeah that's yeah that's amazing. The, but that's like even if you read that, you wouldn't assume like, <laughs> wow, they're just saying that, you know. It's like, no, that's that really is, you know. Um, and I so the there's been a long history of those pieces from post commodity, and um, you know, I it's interesting because I don't think there are a lot of creative people in the world that make the kind uh, as prolific as you are in multiple areas and um i just say that because you have been so successful with composing for um, collaborative projects performing arts projects for um you know doing these sound installations and sort of a some things that sort of fall kind of in between all of those um and I'm curious, like how that came about for you, you know, how does it that you decide what is important for you to pursue? Um, and was that a challenge maybe when you were, you were younger and trying to That's figure out question. where you were going to go? Um, my background, my training, my formal education is in music. I studied piano when I was, I think about 10 or 11 years old. And uh, uh, eventually using that basis was able to learn other instruments, teach myself guitar and cello and basically music theory. And I went further on to, um, well, I, I, I was discouraged from studying music and even myself didn't, wasn't sure it was a good idea. So I actually started uh, in university uh, studying film because that was another interest of mine. And eventually, though, I was always just, you know, sitting at the mixing desk or studying recording while I was supposed to be studying the other technical aspects of filmmaking and <laughs> uh, and was on my own time studying orchestration, also playing a lot of music, playing in different bands, still keeping those skills up. I played in a mariachi group for a while. Um, you know, I played whatever <laughs> I could. I also, we had a, we had a traditional uh, singing group, native singing group, uh, any, any kind of music that I could play, uh, you know, or, or ensemble I could play with, I took advantage of and tried to do that. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, eventually finished undergrad education in, in composition and studying music theory and all of the Western canon of music, music history, Beethoven, Bach, all of that kind of thing. And um, because I, I, I truly do have a, a huge respect for those instruments that, uh, you know, Europe claims them, but they've, they've been developed from all over the world. A lot of them come from Asia, you know, or Africa, this, these instruments that have evolved into what we know as classical instruments. And, and, and they've gone a step further mm-hmm. into, you know, being, being perfected through jazz. And um, I think all of these instruments are beautiful and, and amazing. And um, I, I actually don't think they can get any better. And so, um, you know, that's why people try to process them with electronics, but that's, that's not really my thing, but um, yeah, so that was one trajectory and it, and it's, it's maybe the medium most close to my heart because I I think all of this is, is music in some way, all of this time-based artwork is, is all in some way music whether it's film or it's performance, it's all something lining up with something else in a way that, that maybe captures your attention, maybe is a vehicle for meaning in the way that they line up. Maybe it's simply, if nothing else, something we don't understand about time. And even that alone interests me. And yeah, so from there, it's again. Then, then it went on to further studies. I, I went to Cal Arts and studied with um, some of my favorite composers, James Tenney, who I was a fan of before studying with him, and Morton Sabotnik, and um, and other folks. And finding a community there that was receptive to the, the work I was doing, uh, even though New Mexico has an amazing music scene here in Albuquerque. Uh, at the time, there wasn't a lot of experimental mm-hmm. music that I was finding or, or people that were aligning with my ideas or the things I wanted to do. So I had to go to Los Angeles to, to find a community of people who were doing similar things. Yeah, Albuquerque does have a, you know, what what are they? What's the, what's the word that's used? Albu Albuquerque is that one of the? Yeah, you know, <laughs> synonyms for Albuquerque. And I think you know the, I'm thinking of like the the punk metal scene there and how it's all you know it's very Chicano, it's very indigenous, it's very just a little bit of all of these things mixed together and. Um, yeah, I could see that as being a, a great influence, yeah. but I. Oh yeah, yeah that's why I, I still I think... live here. That's that's it's it's definitely a, a, a Chicano and and indigenous city, and um and mm-hmm. and everybody is involved in this kind of thing, and and the overlap is is surreal sometimes. I mean, I even still play in a metal band here in Albuquerque, a thrash metal band, um, <laughs> because there's enough people to do this kind of thing. You know? We're all friends. We all grew up together. We still do this. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you, do you have, is there yeah. anything online we can yeah, share the, in the The band the is called Tenderizer. Later about that? O-O-R. I can send you a link. Oh, okay. In it. Maybe you can repost it. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to link that in there. I'd like to see yeah. it myself. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Um, that's awesome. And um, so talking, going back to influences a little bit, you had some amazing professors uh, that you studied with. Are there are there some other contemporary influences that you kind of lean to hmm. now? Um, or doesn't have to be contemporary. Well, I guess. there's a lot of things. I mean, they're not they're I, I guess if we're talking about this Western tradition of of classical music, I mean, for a long time it was dominated by white men, and you know, there's the obvious John Cage mm-hmm. and that trajectory of people who are, who are mm. the people that I studied with, you know, were the kind of intellectual descendants of, of what Cage was talking about. Um, and, and of those, there were, there was James Tenney, there was Alvin Lussier who, who have huge respect for their work and, and ideas. And, uh, but at the same time, the, the music of where I come from, the Matachina dances, which are this hybrid art form of indigenous mm. and Hispano, performance uh is something that's very influential and just something i i mean i don't know how influential it is but it's something i i love to listen to and to see mm-hmm. um it just uh, what else um i don't know films uh you know el topo yeah, yeah. movies like that that was, those blew my mind you know and it was, that was part of why i wanted to study film yeah so I was like, what, what what's going on here this is amazing <laughs> yeah, film film does have this wonderful mixture of like visual narrative you know audio it's all yeah. it's all there and has to be in the right place to function and um so do you um do you have any times where you feel creatively stuck and what what do you think helps you push through those barriers yeah many might not believe me, but I, I, I never have that feeling. I I could tell you my, my rules maybe for avoiding that, that feeling. And I I tried to finish one thing a week. So every week I try not Mm -hmm. to start a new thing every week, but I, I have a lot of things, a lot of pieces of paper around my studio, a lot of sounds on hard drives, a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. unfinished things. And so a goal of mine is to finish one thing a week. And so I never feel, I never feel bored or stuck or like I'm beating my head against a wall because I know there's something to be finished. And so in operating like that, I, I, I am constantly busy. And, and if I feel like that work cannot be done in that week, then I'll, then I'll put it back in the shoebox or on the hard drive and leave it there until I know what yeah. to do with it. But once I know what to do with it, I think it comes very fast about what's going to happen. And, and I have no problem saying this because I also want to point out a huge part of my practice is collaboration. I, a, a lot of this I cannot do alone. Mm. Uh, and being a musician is, I think prepares you for collaboration and how to work with others, how to, utilize skill sets that you have how to share knowledge with each other how to understand when when somebody's ideas um can can improve a project you know sharing things i i give a lot of sound to people for their films because i just i i, I have faith mm. that the 
accumulation, the cumulative efforts are going to produce something that I can agree with. And so, so back when I say, you know, uh, I have all these things here and there and in shoeboxes, sometimes that ends up in other people's work too. And I have no problem with that. Okay. That's, um, it's, there's something too, like about the productivity and uh, collaboration that's, they're very tied together because you have like, like a commitment device is built into the project. You, you have accountability, you know, it's not just yourself that's relying on that anymore. It's like, there's a group of you or somebody else is waiting, you know, um, it's a really, yeah, it's a powerful yeah. driver. And I'm, I mean, a lot of my work is like that, whether it's playing in tenderizer or it was working with post commodity, uh, you learn, you learn how to, to understand each other and, and work with each other, hopefully. And, and uh, benefit the the song or the installation or the idea. Mm. Yeah, in, in uh, a previous interview from this season, I, I talked with Emily Johnson. So speaking of collaborators, she brought up that I asked her, you know, we have the short answer questions at the end of the interview. And I asked her, you know, about music she was listening to. And she said, well, I've been listening to a lot of Raven Chacon because we've been working together and we're going to work together. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what projects do well, you have going I've now? I've been wanting to write a piece for her. And it's one of those ones. This one's not on the shoebox. This one's pinned right to the middle of my wall where I can look at it every day. But um, <laughs> it's, it first will begin as a score. And um, I don't know yet, you know, what it will be. But I draw. I draw shapes. And these shapes might imply a pitch. Mm rising from a low tone to a high tone or maybe it me it's an aerial view of a dancer moving from one corner of a room to another i don't know what that shape means but it's going to mean something and you know when i when i link up with emily then we can figure out perhaps you know all the possibilities of that of that arrow or that line but uh but that's what i've been working on a lot recently i, I would say over the the past five years is these conceptual scores, these kinds of almost portraits of different friends of mine, all indigenous women uh, who work also in music mm. and contemporary sound making. And so, so it's a work called Forzi Kalasha. And I'm about to complete this, this project. It's, it's actually been, I've been working on it for about 15 years. Uh, and and wh what the work is, oh, wow. I mean, I'll describe what? the work further. Is um, years ago, I was I was doing a concert with the composer Lewis Ballard. He's a Quapa uh, native composer. He he is no longer with us. He lived, I think, almost to his nineties, and he he's regarded as being oh, wow. one of the first native composers, uh, at least to to gain worldwide recognition. And, but at the same time, I was thinking, you know, Lewis couldn't have been the first. There must have been somebody in the 1800s composing music. And that's mm. how I came upon uh, this figure, Zikalasha, which means Redbird. And she's a Dakota woman. She's known for composing a work called the Sundance Opera. And she actually composed that in Salt Lake City. I think maybe at BYU, uh, BYU oh, wow. has the score, the actual score. But um, huh. but that's my entry into this this fascinating figure. Poets know her because she wrote poetry. Writers know her because she wrote fiction and essays and oratory. 
others know her through her political work, her, her policy work. She founded the National Council of the American Indian and, um, and was quite an, an active person and influential person in, uh, in American Indian history, contemporary American Indian history. And at the same time, sometimes controversial too. I wanted to research Zikala Shah's life and, and learn about the artwork mm-hmm. she was making, the writing, the, the policy she helped devise. And, um, and wanted to write a tribute to her, but at the same time did not want to make it specifically about her. As I recognize that Zikala Shah had to navigate, negotiate, obstacles in the early 20th century, I wanted to think, well, who's doing that today? Which artists do I know? Which indigenous women do I know today who are also musicians that are doing that? And so Forzi Kalisha is a series of 13 single page graphic scores that tell the story of these friends of mine. Uh, I, it's a, It's, I think it's really beautiful because it brings about uh, an uncovering of some past and connecting it to the present. And, you know, you mentioned erasure at the beginning of the interview. And I think, you know, it's, it's very important to a lot of people and every, I think all of our society right now to really uncover, you know, that erasure and, and really uh, rethink Mm -hmm. history in so many ways. And also to log, log the current history so that they can't be erased again. Um, so I, I just, I really appreciate that connection. It's, it's a really beautiful project. Um, are there, are there other collaborations you're working on right now? I, I know, um, I was looking at your, your Instagram, oh, maybe a month or more ago, and there was a little short documentary made and you were supposed to not be in Albuquerque that's, right now, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, my, my <laughs> wife, uh, her name is Candace Hopkins. She's Clinkett Tagish from the Yukon. Uh, also uh, she yeah, recognized okay. as, a, as a curator worldwide of, of contemporary and, di- and indigenous art. Uh, we were supposed mm-hmm. to be in Toronto as she's working on the Toronto Biennial, the second edition of the Toronto Biennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, COVID shut that down. So we are back home in New Mexico, which I'm happy about. <laughs> it's yeah it's probably easier to be a little more productive on your own work when you're at home um and there was another project too i'm trying to think of what it was called um was oh the, yes, the colony, yes so that's the project well i'll tell you the long story of that and i hope it doesn't go too long is um okay. <laughs> that is a project of my good friend chinupa hanska luger uh uh papa uh, papa lakota artist from uh, Standing Rock and based currently in the, in northern New Mexico. Um, he uh, also is, is a collaborator of mine as we recently collaborated on an opera called Sweetland, which premiered in Los Angeles right mm-hmm. before COVID hit and it actually shut down the opera. Um, but uh, he also had a, this other large project that was happening this year which he was going to be creating a settlement of an indig- of indigenous artists to go live in Plymouth, UK, uh, this year being the anniversary, I think the 400 mm. year anniversary of, of the Mayflower. 
And so, you know, of course, uh, inverting that, wow. that history and, and creating a new, a new kind of creation story of a colony over in, in the UK. That did not happen, unfortunately, because of COVID mm. as well. So what they did is move that entire project, mm. which is called Settlement, uh, onto an online platform. And the same artists are going to be moving their projects into that virtual space to be presented. So, I see. Well, apologies for getting the title wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, settlement, not. not colony. But I, I like the idea of colony because it's like it's like sending the colony back. You know, it's like a reversal of oh yeah of history. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, and also, I don't want to overlook your wife because her what she's been doing is also incredible work. So I I want to encourage people to look her work up. We'll link all these. Um, all these projects to the interview and people can find more information on our website or your website. Um, so I, I don't want to overlook any of that. Um, it's interesting that this, this year was the 400th anniversary because the, in Mexico this coming year is the 500th anniversary of, um, you know, uh, contact there and oh, colonization yeah. beginning um, the process of colonization beginning. Um, uh, so I'm, I, one of the things that you also mentioned a little bit back was the drawings yes. that you do. Um, and I know that that lives in your website. I mean, I know it becomes things like album art, I believe, right? Some of it. And um, I'm curious, like, do you ever show the drawings specifically? Or is that something that is just used for your I own process? To because I realized that the art people like that kind of thing. You know, I think a lot of them are still struggling how to figure out <laughs> how to present sound or sound works. So it's kind of a thing where curators like scores, you know, and, and I, I guess I have no problem exhibiting mm -hmm. those now, but it, it's, it's been fun to be able to collaborate with, um, you know, printmakers and, and seeing how we can turn these scores into physical objects. Of course, my preference is still that they get performed. Mm -hmm. They're not just to look at. In fact, to me, that's secondary. They are merely vehicles to produce sound and performance. But I draw, I mean, I, eventually, they all start out as drawings. They all start off as ideas, as gestures, as symbols, either um, bent or hacked from classical Western notation, or they become a mixture of other things I've seen, of, of geometries and and iconographies from my tribe or from the southwest um a lot of these i, I mm. find mm -hmm. them as very expressive symbols and so they a lot of that kind of thing the, they become sketches and then the best of them become uh, music notations mm, i see i see and <clears throat> as um as we were talking about prior, I'm, I'm jumping around yeah. a lot because I just have a lot of questions for you. We haven't really talked before in depth about any of this. So I'm, you know, I feel like this interview could go on for hours, <laughs> but we don't have that much time. <laughs> um, the So I, I want to jump back because we talked, I, I brought up the fact that you are on the road a lot, or you brought up that earlier as well in the interview. Um, what, you know, because we are still in this pandemic, um, I'm wondering what what does a normal day look like for you? Well, right now? I'm very happy that I'm I'm in Albuquerque because there is more space. I'm not cooped up in a apartment. Uh, we have a home here. We've had a home here 
for 10 years um but we are rarely here we are always traveling so it's very nice to just unpack our stuff and be back in our own house for for a change and so my normal day though is going to the studio every day as early as seven in the morning and staying until nighttime just working on everything um whether it's a score whether it's recording i'm able to record in my studio I also run a record label. I put out other people's music because I, I just mm-hmm. love other people's music here in Albuquerque that are, you know, doing interesting things, other artists. And so I pack up, mm-hmm. <laughs> I pack up records that I've been releasing of uh, musicians and I go to the post office and mail those off. Uh, I, I try to practice guitar. I do <laughs> Zooms all day with people i write emails uh, i'm working on a film right now that is going to it's a short film for an operetta that's going to premiere in january mm. so i've been editing that uh i go through the shoebox and the hard drives to see what i'm gonna do next week i uh i, I used to deal with all the business stuff too but I, i've been able to have some assistance there recently uh, which is nice okay oh, um I don't know. I we have two horses. I try to ride the horses sometimes. Um, oh wow! Okay. I don't know. I don't know what else. Um, I. It sounds like you're a, a true believer in you know that there's like an old quote that inspiration exists, but it has yeah, to find you working. Yeah, I know for sure. And and I teach too. I've been, <laughs> this semester I taught at uh, as visiting uh, faculty at Bard College. And also I have the ongoing oh, wow. project, the Native American Composer Apprenticeship Project, where every August I go to the reservation where I'm from and also Hopi and Salt River Pima reservations and teach young high school students to write string quartets. This year was different. I wasn't able to go. As, as we all know, the reservations were hit very hard by, uh, by the pandemic. And so everything was done online, which was very hard because a lot of these students don't have even running water or internet or electricity many of them don't mm, yeah and so yeah. uh definitely the internet connection is inadequate so we we did the best we could to do this kind of uh, online learning with those students i have huge respect for their regular teachers who who are working with them throughout the year during this time yeah i'm so glad you brought up that project because that's that was one of my questions i was going to ask you about and I'm curious, how long has that been going on? That, um, and how, um, like, what? I guess, what? What are some of the takeaways that you've learned from working with those communities? Um, you know, they are. You know, one of them is your your intimate community, but then um, there's others that, you know, each community is is individual as well. And I'm I'm just curious to know what, what you've learned from that process and. Um, and teaching, because you mainly teach quartet scores, I believe, or work on quartet composition. Um, so what, maybe what are some of the, uh, what has been the process for you in learning how to teach that? Because I, it's a long question, sorry, but I, I feel like that's a, maybe a, a distant art form or expressive form for a lot of people in uh, rural United right, States in right. general. So the, the program is called the Native American Composer Apprenticeship Project. It was started in the year 2000 by uh, the Grand Canyon Music Festival and as an outreach project because they were doing this music festival at the Grand Canyon 
but of course it was yeah it was the old white guys you know mozart and and so forth mm-hmm. and and didn't really uh, engage with the indigenous community that surrounds the grand the grand canyon so fortunately they thought of this idea along with brent michael davids native composer based out of uh, minneapolis to have an education component now i came on and and replaced uh, Brent and, and became the composer in residence in 2004 after I finished CalArts and have been the composer in residence since. And, and oh. what happens is I, I teach 30 kids every year across anywhere from three to six schools uh, to write for string quartet. And the reason string quartet is that's, mm. that was the, uh, uh, kind of the the initial ensemble that had gathered for the very first iteration and has since you know just been a tradition of the program to do that but it's also a very good place to start as the the instruments are all somewhat uniform and all share techniques uh, that that it's it's a good place to start for for a beginning composer but also a lot of these kids they play guitar and if there's one thing about the Navajo reservation mm-hmm. There, you can go to some of these high schools and just see headstocks of guitars all the way down the hallway, boys and girls, you know, a lot of metalheads, <laughs> punk kids. Um, that tradition <laughs> is very much alive. And so, to translate guitar writing to strings can be a very natural uh, process and transition. And wow, okay. as I mentioned before, I, you know, I'm only really there for a week. And if they're and and when I do work with students for longer, we get to talk about their influences, the their traditional tribal music, and see how all of this can come together. And when, but oftentimes I'm only working with them for only one week, so they have five days to do this. They have five days to learn how to read notes on a paper, if they never have before. Wow. They have uh, to learn the extended techniques of the instrument and to actually write a five, three to five minute composition. Now on the point of, of what education they come with, that's, that's one of the things I've learned and was already aware of, but have really learned about the, the situation out there is most of these schools do not have art and music programs. And sadly, that's not a condition of just the reservations. That's all over the United States is a lot of these programs have become cut. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, there are a few of these schools that do have great music programs. Chinle, where I'm from, for example, has an amazing uh, music teacher named Eric Swanson. But I, I be- my guess is that these music programs have come about because the sports team needs their marching band and therefore needs the, the musicians to, <laughs> to play that music. But, but nonetheless... Yeah, there are there are very serious young musicians out there. And so a lot of them do read music notation. And I, I am not requiring them to write something that sounds classical, nor am I asking them to write something that sounds Navajo, for instance. My hope is that all of this emerges Mm. and I can steer it when I hear something that I like or think is interesting. But all of this influence, whether it's marching band music it's hip hop, it's metal, it's traditional Navajo or Hopi music. Uh, all of that can get mm. blended together 
and filtered through these these chamber instruments. And to me, that's the project. That's what the project is all about. Interesting. And I, I, um, I immediately thought about the music scene in Navajo Nation when you talked about the guitars. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. There's like a huge music scene in Shiprock, for example. Oh, yeah. um, it's got this total underground music thing going okay. on that's, that's really cool. Actually, uh, we talked about that in another <laughs> interview, too. <laughs> music is such a part of the culture of the Four Corners, I feel. Um, it's um, I I'm very um, just blown away with all that you've been able to do and accomplish in your career. And you, I feel like you have so much more to come. Um, but I, I want to be respectful of your time. And uh, we have a few short answer questions yeah. I'd like to get to. I've got 20 more I, minutes. I let you go. I got, I got, and, I got, yeah, well, yeah, I got, a, you got more time. Leave at 10, but, yeah, we can go up to, let's say, 955. Okay. okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I don't, yeah, I just don't want to. I don't want to take too much of your time up because you have a lot of projects going on. And um, well, so I guess I'll, I'll jump back to that then. So I'm curious when you're teaching the 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 string quartet music. I know in your own scores you do a lot of interesting things, like um, like I was I was looking at the work you were doing with the Kronos Quartet, and uh, there's a video they have on their website where they talk about how you have accents on the rests, you know. And you have uh, instructions on how the group interacts, you know, with the piece. And uh, is that something that is that you add to your your um, kind of foundational level instruction, or do you? How, I guess how do you structure that? That everything learning? is is detailed in a instruction sheet. Uh, th things are placed. Let's say something like an accented rest is placed on the score and might be a very contradictory action um, like some of the okay. other extended techniques, maybe multiple contradictions stacked on top of each other, but they're all very much detailed about how to execute them. And in the case of the Kronos uh, uh, measure there that you're referencing, uh, I, I describe mm -hmm. what one is to do, but I'm not necessarily speaking about what it means in the score. I, I don't, give that information in the score i like to mm. save that for a discussion with the the musicians in person i like that to be a conversation amongst ourselves maybe kept private but of course they could share it further as they share the composition with others but i don't feel like it's something that needs to be within the the formal document of the score and so um so they can exist as as maybe other conceptual elements of of the piece itself. Maybe it's a part of the narrative. Maybe it's a part mm. of generating the shared experience that the four musicians are going to have amongst themselves. And the artifacts of that shared experience are going to become the, the sound that reaches the audience or the listener. But a lot of these compositions are made just for the person experiencing them or working with it or, or 
spending the time with with what it is and making it their own. I I, I have even though I'm I'm prescribing and detailing actions, uh, at a certain point I I hope that it becomes something unique to the performer and becomes their composition. That's uh, that's really interesting to me, especially with the, you know, the history of performance scores, you know, and, you know, that that is a thing of like, <laughs> if if people listening don't know, like the, you know, you can you can find like a, a Yoko Ono performance score and and perform her piece essentially based upon what she, how she's described it. And like the way you just described this music is it's almost like an individual um, performance score for that individual musician. This, I, I love that it's like this communication and learning experience for the individual and the group. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that music it, at large, every time a piece is performed, there's learning that happens. But I, I really, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that intentionality of, of that process that you mm. put into the scores. Well, th- well, yeah, thank you. Um, I, I suppose that's, that's what my interest is ultimately. I mean, sound is just the way that it can extend to others, you know, other listeners, others to, to mm-hmm. share that shared experience. But, uh, and I can't quite pinpoint it exactly with music what I'm wanting to talk about. I mean, rarely is it narrative. Rarely is it, um, I mean, unless it has lyrics, then you can say a whole lot more. You know, you can, you can be extremely mm-hmm. political or topical or, um, or like I said, narrative. But at the same time, there's a lot of instrumental music. And, and I'm not seeking purpose of what that music is. Music doesn't need to exist for no other reason than it's something that's just a voice from, from, somewhere we don't even know where it comes from we it's a, it's a mystery it's a huge grand mystery that uh, we're all privileged to be able to experience as living things but yes what else can it do it can it can provide sounds that nobody's ever heard before i suppose it could provide meditation um, but i'm really interested in in the shared experience and that shared experience is not always something that might be at peace for instance it might contain contradictions it might make it might make one uh, a performer do something they are not accustomed to doing but in in doing so i hope that it conjures some sonic artifact that then extends in ways that were not anticipated Mm. wow it's uh I, you know, I think the word community is used a lot in contemporary art in the wrong way, but I feel like this is a, a way that you're addressing um, community through, through contemporary music. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm quite drawn to that idea of how, uh, how we connect with individuals in such a way. And, you know, I, it, it's really interesting to me from a standpoint of, you know, so much music that's still performed now that was written a hundred years ago is performed exactly the same. And what, you know, what will one of your scores be performed as in a hundred years, you know? Um, and like what, what changes will happen? Um, what creative input will be there? Um, 
I don't know. It makes me want to jump in a time machine and like <laughs> figure out <laughs> how how they'll be interpreted. I love that in idea, future. and and I, I I love that you brought up community because I feel a lot of times that is my work. A lot of these works, while they are written for virtuosic musicians, I have many compositions that are written for non musicians or beginning musicians or anybody can play them. Um, and so when we talk about community, I. Uh, I feel like maybe in some ways, a lot of my work is to bring together these different people to engage in this shared experience. It's Kronos Quartet, of course, is going to always have this shared experience or whatever string quartet ensemble takes on this particular piece. But other pieces are meant to bring together larger you know, groups of people to, for instance, let's say play drums on the street. Mm-hmm or to, to fire off uh, fire, you know, guns as part of the performance. Um, yeah. Any number of these things can, can be, um, can bring together different folks. And that's what I'm, I'm really interested in, especially in these, this, these days of this consciousness and awareness of, of diversity and, you know, making space for artists mm-hmm. of color, indigenous artists, black artists, women. Uh, these are all, these are all, people who have been underrepresented in classical music, for instance, and, and other places and other mm-hmm. areas of the arts. I hope, I hope people will dig into your music um, after listening to this and, and your projects, not just your music, but all of your projects, because there's a, there's a wealth of creativity and a wealth of um, inspiration. I think that can be found through the work that you've done. All right. So, I think it'd be great now if we could um, go ahead and, and jump into some of the short answers because people are still, you know, living as isolated as hopefully people are still living as isolated as they need to to keep everybody safe. Um, and I think people are always looking for new uh, forms of entertainment, of education, and um, there's a lot of opportunity to uplift voices. So just with a few short answer questions, I wanted to ask you a few things about what's interesting to you, like what is a a favorite album right now that you're you're listening to favorite album um well i i listen there's there's a couple there uh i i always find myself listening to funkadelic parliament uh that group it's it's <laughs> endless for me to you know to get into that music uh, especially when i have to feel motivated but there's also a, a group, I believe, from the Bahamas called Exuma, which is also this kind of a, a yeah. rock kind of hybrid band in the 70s that uh, I found myself listening to. I mean, I've been listening to this album for a long time, too, but it's another one that I kind of return to. Um, I think it's just called Exuma Self-Titled. Okay. Awesome. I'll have, to, I'll have to check them out, too. I don't know about that work at all. The... And you mentioned that you love films. I'm guessing you still like films. Is there a favorite recent movie that you that pops out in your mind? Recent, um, or something you watched recently? It doesn't have to I be a recent. To, to be completely honest with you, I have not been uh-huh. able to watch any movies during quarantine because I've been so busy. But I, I but I will answer <laughs> your question in that I. Uh, had an opportunity to be able to be one of the uh, jurors on the Imaginative Film Festival this year. And so I, w- I did watch oh, wow. 30 or so okay. of those films. 
and while I, I'm not going to pinpoint any particular one to, to um, look at, I do encourage listeners to check out that film festival in general, uh, which every year showcases okay. uh, some, some of the newest, you know, best indigenous films being made all over the world. Wow. Um, so that, that leads me to what I like to be the sort of ending question for the interviews, which is if you had um, a little bit of advice for a young person that's beginning their professional career in your field, or maybe even more general, if you wish for a creative field at large, um, what would be a, a piece of advice that you would give a young person or maybe your past? There's self? a few of them. Um, I don't know about my past self because I'm pretty happy how things worked out, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, but a young person, I, I tell young people, my students this all the time that, um, and this, some of this may sound cliche. Of course, there's the regular stay in school, work hard. I think young people, I have to, I tell them you, you could go get a, a nine to five job anywhere. And, but if you want to be an artist, it's like, uh, like I said, eight to eight, 12 hour job, you know, eight in the morning to eight at night. <laughs> That's what you're signing up for. If you really want to do this more specifically, I tell young people, especially these, these boys who, um, are really, you know, sometimes cocky and, and want to be in a band and, and, uh, you know, make music. I say, there's not, there's really nothing stopping you. This was pre COVID mind you. I, I would say you could yeah. borrow your, your family or your uncle's truck and get your band together and go play at the town, you know, a hundred miles down the way. And, you know, you play in your own town, you start going to the next town, you start doing that every weekend, you play all over and you go a little further each time. And maybe that band doesn't survive. You form a new band. And maybe if that, maybe none of these bands work, you go do it solo and you go play every, as much as you can in all these places. And one person will show up. Nobody will show up. You'll play for the door guy. You know, then five people <laughs> show up, then 10 people show up. But that's what you got to do. I'm still doing that. I'm still going sometimes and playing shows yeah. and five people show up. But that's what you have to do. <laughs> That's the, that's yeah. the work. Yeah. And, um, and you just, you have to practice your instrument and you try to learn as much as you can. Now there's YouTube. I mean, you can learn about anything right now on YouTube. So I tell young people about that. Other more general advice mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. you have to be nice. You should be nice. I mean, there's healthy competition, but you, you should speak, um, uh, kindly and, and positively about your colleagues and, and friends work if you like it, you know, and if you don't like it, don't say anything. I mean, critic criticism is yeah. one thing, you know, um, you know, but um, you know, talking bad about somebody else's work does not lead anybody anywhere. So there's that too. Um, yeah. And then ultimately, yeah, the, because of that, both bits of advice there, the jumping in the truck and playing and the uh, talking positively is that it's a very, very, very small world. And both of those um, pieces of advice will lead you eventually to realizing how true that is. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's all very, very valid, very valuable advice for people in 
in many creative forms because there is, you know, there's a, another old saying that is you don't, um, you don't strike while the iron's hot. You make the iron hot by striking. So it's like this idea of like, you, you make it happen through action. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's a really strong way to finish this talk. Um, I very much appreciate your time, Raven. Uh, it's been wonderful to get to know you better. And I look forward to hopefully when all of this uh, ends to hopefully meet you in person yeah, and sometime. Thank you, Peter. And yeah, we'll surely talk again down the line. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Raven or his work, please visit his website, which is spiderwebinthesky.com. ¿Disfrutaste de este podcast y deseas apoyar a ProArtes México? Te invitamos a visitar nuestros artículos promocionales o a través de una donación directa en nuestra página web. Y si pasas por ahí, no olvides suscribirte a nuestro boletín y seguirnos en nuestras redes sociales para mantenerte al día de nuestras actividades. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support ProArtes México, we have merchandise and direct donation available on our website. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media to keep up to date with all that we do. Recuerda que puedes compartir este podcast con tus amigos desde nuestro espacio web con la transcripción traducida en proartesmexico.com.mx And remember, you can share this podcast with your friends from our website with the translated transcript at proartesmexico.com.mx Un gran agradecimiento a Raven Chacón cuya música estás escuchando ahora y seguirás escuchando durante esta temporada. A big thanks to Raven Chacon, whose music you're hearing now and will continue to hear throughout this season. Gracias por escucharnos. Thank you for listening.